I mean, I did actually specifically on this album have a moment where Tom was playing acoustic guitar and singing a vocal on his own and I was sitting like this about a meter away from him and I have to be honest I completely forgot for 30 seconds that I was recording uh, I was just mesmerized Hi I'm Lawrence Diamond and I'm Bob Matthews and this is the process of production Mate, how's your week been? It's been very good, thank you. I had a busy week of work last week. Main thing I was working on was a mix for Takesha, a new Takesha track, which hopefully should be coming out within a couple of weeks. Uh, so keep an eye out for it. It's called Closer. Whip fast turnaround time on that mix. I knew you were doing the mix, and then on social media that evening, I saw Takesha trailing some part That's of it, and I was like, teasing. I'm guessing there wasn't lots of mix notes on that one. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it was It was a really, they did want it really quickly, but the, the rough mix was already so good. The, the producers, this uh, London-based duo called After Party, uh, sent through some really nicely organized stems. So uh, grade A plus for that. And the rough mix was already great. So it was one of the easier mix jobs I've done. Yeah, so hopefully that should be out in a few days. And I'm, I'm really pleased with how it sounds. Lovely. And the other thing that was obviously going on in the background is that we relaunched our podcast with the Gordon Raphael interview and we've had a great response. It's been yeah. amazing to come back, have everyone who was listening before come back and send us messages that they're glad we're back and also lots of new listeners off the back of that episode. So um, thanks for coming. We love to have you here. Do hit us up on our socials. Instagram is at process of production and you can pop us an email process of production podcast at gmail.com really great to see you all coming on board and it was a great episode i've had a lot of friends reach out and it's brought back a lot of memories listening to those records so um yeah really glad you all enjoyed that yeah it was a really fun one it was like we'd never been away so so uh, thanks for sticking with us guys uh, it means a lot and there's something really nice that came out of doing that episode when we did it which was that gordon's preparing to release his book about that time with the strokes and it felt really nice to tie in with that mm -hmm. um and that sort of bled into the episode this week we'd originally planned to do this episode around an amazing conversation we had with Kerry Willits who works with Dermot Kennedy produces Freya Ridings and we are going to do that episode next next time out but we realized that we also had ready to go an amazing interview with Miko Gordon who is a long-term right-hand man of Nigel Godrich and we thought well that Arcade Fire album that Miko was talking to us about and which he had just been working on with Nigel had just dropped a week later, the Smile record with Johnny Greenwood, Tom York, Tom Skinner, which, as we'll hear, Mika was deeply involved in the creation of, that's come out as well. And it seemed crazy not to put that interview out now and sort of give you guys a, the inside track on these two huge albums that have just dropped. It just seemed like a really nice time to share that conversation with you. Yes, exactly. Um, I mean, what a moment in, in Miko's career to have these two fantastic records with like massive names come out within a week of each other mm. must be really really thrilling for him and like such an exciting time in his career so we wanted to yeah honor that by getting getting this interview out there for you guys and there's lots of fascinating nuggets about working on both of those projects and and more there were huge projects and if a fortnight ago with gordon was more about kind of the narrative of those strokes records the this is slightly more the nitty-gritty of of yeah. making these records with with these artists miko's a really you'll hear very like process-based engineer process-based mm -hmm. producer he's got amazing focus and it was fascinating yeah. during the interview with him he would often pause and, and really consider our questions for a long time to make sure that he was giving the answers he wanted and i think that 
is possibly how he approaches producing and yeah so i've worked with miko a lot i know him from back in my days in my band alpines he mixed our first two albums and he he also came on tour with us a couple of times you know doing our live sound and yeah he's just a really great guy to be around very driven very precise in everything that he does and you can hear that in his mixes they have a, a, a certain sound i feel a lot of character and attitude but a lot of kind of precision as well is, is the only way i can describe it really mm. and i think what you're talking about the way he's very considered in his answers maybe comes from his background doing a bit of teaching at goldsmith yeah and that's something that we actually start the interview with goldsmith which is, is just down the road from where i'm recording this now miko's helped build their studio complex has run the undergrad program there and, and spends a lot of time teaching the next generation of engineers many of whom now are, are working in the industry he's, he's been running that for a while now and a lot of those have mm -hmm. gone professional so we do touch on that at the beginning that's sort of the gateway into to the interview and then we go yeah. on to talk about his work with Nigel Godrich and how he's been his main assistant for a, for a long time now the work yeah. with Tom the work with Arcade Fire and just Miko's thoughts about how you should produce records and how you should make music it, it's really insightful we're catching him at a point where his career is about to go into the next level of the atmosphere yeah so if you've been listening to the Smile record or the new Arcade Fire record over the last week or two here's a little behind the curtain peek for you off we go Nico Gordon is a London-based mix engineer and producer. He graduated from Goldsmiths with a degree in music and has worked with much of the exciting talent coming out of that university since then. After building a relationship with Radiohead producer Nigel Godrich through his act Ultra Easter, Nigel recognised Miko's talents and brought him onto his team. Since then, Miko's worked on some incredible projects. Most recently, The Smile, a supergroup which includes Radiohead members Tom York and Johnny Greenwood, alongside Sons of Comet drummer Tom Skinner, and the new Arcade Fire album, We. Here, we join Miko in the Neve room at his Hackney Road Studios base. Miko, you've sort of overseen the studio and the course at Goldsmith for, for a while now, and it, it's a really interesting setup in that it's a teaching studio and it's a commercial studio. How, how did you get involved there and, and what's been your role these last few years? Well, I, I studied at Goldsmiths, did my music degree there and never really fully managed to leave and <laughs> yeah. have done um, some teaching there over the years. And one of the things when they started their new popular music courses, I thought there was a real gap in what they were offering in that they didn't have recording spaces geared for like you know, recording, track, tracking, and mm -hmm. and also kind of experimentation and kind of using the the studio as a as a kind of play area. Yeah. So I I pitched this idea of of you know let's build a studio and the music department was really excited about that and we got some support from the college and we built this amazing uh, new studio from the, from the ground up. So I uh, led the design team and kind of spec'd all the gear. You know traveled to Amsterdam to, to find old vintage microphones and, and, and get the desks in there. And um, that's just kind of grown and grown and grown. I think it's been seven or eight years now. Wow. My goal was, sort of set, you know, I, studios are daunting places mm. for a lot of people. And I wanted it to feel uh, encouraging and welcoming for everyone. And so while it has to have the complexity of a professional facility, it also needs to have the learning curve to come in. And for instance, in the Studio One, um, it's completely normaled. So you can come in and start using the studio without having to ever worry about a patch bay. Nice. But then that functionality is there when you want to start 
recording to tape or you know patching in compressors or doing something more complicated um and i think that's been really successful i mean one of the things i'm very proud about is how much uh, engagement we've had from all kinds of people how diverse it is how many women we have involved right. there um and that has been you know the, what what have we got in the music industry two percent of producers are, are female mm. and I, I think assistants and engineers in studio is not that much higher but we kind of are averaging around a 50 50 kind of wow, male that's female that's usage that's fantastic how did um studying at at goldsmiths kind of shape you as a, as a producer and an engineer not not just at goldsmiths but as in going through a more formal education for for what we do because most of the people we've spoken to maybe just learn on the job or, or on their own yeah i mean for me growing up in helsinki in finland i mean the music scene is amazing but tiny there and mm. i knew i wanted to come uh to London to study and I guess it was just an opportunity to come and immerse myself in music as well and I was already doing a lot of recording and stuff so from a technical point of view I don't think I learned very much at university sure, sure. but it was incredibly valuable for my like musical language and I was exposed to kind of all kinds of contemporary classical music and experimental music that I'd never heard of and and that stuff was just amazing for me and kind of very yeah, arty isn't it Gold really Smith arty yeah, yeah yeah um you know stockhausen and Zanarkis and all these like right. uh, amazing uh artists that sometimes also make music that's very challenging to listen to and, yep. you know i think that's like you know not not all music needs to be easy to consume but also you know i studied composition and arranging and and there's still many times when those skills kind of come in handy yeah. in the studio we talked about the studio that you, that you helped design and build there but we're not actually there today we're in uh, hackney road studios which which yes. uh, is is your place would you want to tell us a bit about this place and and just describe it for us and how you came to be here yes so uh, hackney road studios is my studio along with uh, my partner sean woodlock who also um works out of here and i've been here now five or six years has been a studio long before that um there was an engineer steve honest here before that and i think originally the studio was founded and i could be mistaken but i think it was founded by um one of the guys from the wanna dies oh yeah incredible had, yeah, yeah, that yeah you you me song you me yeah yeah me, yeah <laughs> we like we prefer the stories like let's go with the legend <laughs> yeah podcast. exactly into yeah. the legend yeah. it's the legend of hackney yeah. road so <laughs> yeah and we have two studios here one uh based around uh a vintage neve console and which we're in right now we're in right now and then the the ssl room with a 24 track e-series ssl fantastic and um there's actually something, I just want to just dial back a quick question because there was something I was about to ask you before we rolled the tape and I think it's really interesting what you're alluding to. Working with the goldsmiths, you know, you're sort of alluding to how it's an education for you in, in its own way because obviously you have this formal background, you've been recording countless years, you've worked with people like Nigel and, and Tom and we'll get onto that as well, but like that idea that you're still learning from those people coming up, that's a really interesting idea and, and just talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, I think the moment you think you know everything and you stop learning, mm. that's just game over. <laughs> yeah. mm. And I think it's something that all of us ask ourselves when we've had longer careers is how do we stay relevant and passionate and keep innovating mm. and don't become stale with what we do? And I think that 
working with young people and listening to their ideas and the music they make, even though you do see the kind of same mistakes and problems or issues over and over again, you also get surprised and, and you hear incredible stuff that really keeps you on your toes. And, um, you know, I have a lot of assistance coming through Goldsmiths and it's always fascinating to kind of watch the kind of stuff that they're starting to work on on their own mm. as well then. It moves so quick now as well. Like it's just constantly, I was speaking to a friend recently and he, he's a trained classical composer. He's like, someone showed me an app last week that's essentially my entire 10 years of training in an app. And I'm like, what do I do now? This is like, and just he saw that from one of his piano students who was going, but I don't need to learn that when I make music because I've got it. It's just like, oh, okay, okay. It is, it is fascinating. And I guess a lot of people are always worried about, oh, is this kind of auto mastering algorithm or mixing algorithm going to take like all our work away? Mm. But I, I think we should just be embracing technology and, and there are things that you can do much faster and easier through that and then that yeah. allows you to focus on on creative work, which is something that still, for, I think, for a long time, computers are not going to be able to do as yeah. well as humans. Yeah, it's about adapting to it rather than resisting it, I yeah. guess. So I guess we should talk about you obviously are a mentor to a lot of people that come, th come through Goldsmiths and you've been a mentor to me in my career as well. But um in your career, you've had some pretty incredible mentors so far, and I, you've done so much work with Nigel, and he's such an enigmatic producer. We'd, we'd love to start by talking about him. Uh, do you want to talk about how you came to work with him and some of the stuff you've done? Yes, yeah, so I actually met uh, Nigel Godrich uh, through my wife, who is in a band with him, oh, yes, of course. Altraista. And um, fans of the podcast will know this already from our, our episode with uh, Laura Benson. Yeah, and so we just kind of hit it off and have become really good friends over the years. And I was doing live sound with Ultraista and then um, was asked through that to go and do live sound for Tom York for his solo stuff and then started getting involved in the studio side of things and things have just kind of uh, developed from there. And just recently we made uh, the new Smile album mm. together, which was an amazing experience. Well, yeah, talk, talk to us about that. Like, it must have been really exciting because Tom and Johnny, have, they've done lots of other projects uh, outside of Radiohead, but kind of the two of them coming together on something else is, is fairly unprecedented, am, am I right in saying? So like, you know, it must have been pretty electrifying to, to, be, to be part of. And then obviously uh, drummer Tom Skinner, yeah. who, who comes with a jazz background and is just a phenomenal drummer. And he's someone I've also known for a long time. Oh, and cool. so uh, have worked with a lot over the years and it was great to have them. But they were just having so much fun in the studio. You know, it was just a really enjoyable experience and everything was happening very quickly. You know, I think when people are creating music and recording and being spontaneous, the technical side needs to be invisible to that process. Mm. And, you know, we're recording to tape. Wow. So there's all kinds of things that take time and, 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 you know, but I'm trying to just make all of that invisible as possible mm. so that artists can play and, and, and I'm just capturing that and making sure it's sounding interesting and exciting. And like, you know, that headphones or whatever monitoring is being used that that feels uh inspiring to what, play to what kind of things do you have to do to make sure that it is invisible is it is it about preparation and, and having options on on hand what do you need to do yeah i mean good preparation is also always key 
and I think just having everything ready to go, you know, yeah. not just assuming that people are going to come and play one instrument. And, you know, if there's some weird kind of synth in the corner of a studio, you know someone's going to walk over <laughs> to it at some point and you just know. So just having everything ready to go and having a good idea of levels and, and you know, patched in. But that when you're recording to tape, that must have been a real challenge, right? Like having that flexibility because it's a notoriously not a very flexible medium. Yeah, I mean, you're limited to... Uh, in this case, we're using 24-track uh, tape machine. Um, but limitations are also your friend, you know. When you have a choice of doing everything, that, that can sometimes be really daunting. And, you know, in this case, we just have to work within the amount of tracks we have and keep really good kind of notes of what track and where has extra space on it if it's needed and just quick on the patching. And, <laughs> you know, just as an example, I think... Uh, as an engineer, if artists or producer are having a discussion about something they're going to record, not you don't wait till they finish that and then do it. You make sure it's all done. Yeah. And at the end of the conversation, you turn to them and go, "That's ready to go." If you'd like it, nice exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, we we had I think one good example of this is that we were back after a month of a gap, um, back doing a session, and we were working on a track, and then. There was like a discussion about the drum part and it wasn't quite right. And they were worried about tracking the drums again so they would fit with the other part. Mm. And I'd photoed all my settings of the desk, the compressors, the microphones and everything and just recalled that quietly in the background. So we were just completely Amazing. ready to go and it became like a non-issue then. There must be a moment where you're watching Tom kind of improvise behind these two musicians that are like world famous musicians and okay you're watching the metering and you're you're checking Nigel's getting the signal and but do you just occasionally stop and and see these moments of these three musicians interacting and how does that feel like when you've kind of still got one hat on but you you mm. are like holy crap man I mean I did actually specifically on this album have a moment where Tom was playing acoustic guitar and singing a vocal on his own and I was sitting like this about a meter away from him and I have to be honest I completely forgot for 30 seconds that I was recording uh, I was just mesmerized and then I kind of suddenly kind of like woke out of my my dreams and realized <laughs> I'm actually supposed to be doing something yeah <laughs> yeah yeah completely. I've got sort of shivers just thinking about it yeah like, some of the most I think amazing experiences have also just been you know sitting in a tour bus like late at night with an artist mm. and and someone's just playing guitar and singing and it's like the most intimate concert you're ever mm. going to see it's it's just fantastic amazing i guess i guess i just want to ask about these guys as people that you that you work with like because we we see them as these enigmatic mysterious musician types obviously they're just normal human beings is 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 that is that a funny disconnect that you have to get used to or i guess when you're around them for days on end it's not not so much of an issue everyone's just human beings you know we all think uh, we're all wired a bit differently but in the end we're all the same mm. and and we're all in in the studio in a which is a kind of delicate environment mm. because there's it needs to feel safe for creativity to happen and and, and that's the case no matter what level the, the the creatives are at right absolutely yeah you know i i mean i I don't think it makes any difference whether you're just starting out or 20 years into your your career, you know. Mm. Whenever you're creating someone, you're there's always 
anxieties and fears mm. and that kind of stuff in, in play, isn't there? Yeah. That's sort of what you were alluding to earlier, like with the goldsmiths, you've got these people who maybe are making like release level stuff in their bedroom before they even get to the course, but you're trying to get them into the studio environment and go like, one day you might be here and I want you to be comfortable in it. Yeah. And you, you know that, you know, you're working with these guys that have released 20 records, but sometimes they walk into the studio and they're not sure they're comfortable. That, that role of a producer is incredibly important. Um, I suppose you've learned a lot from doing it with Nigel, but you've also done it a lot yourself. Um, how do you set that for an artist? How do you, how do you create a studio environment they want to be in? Like, I mean, I think a big part of that again is, is preparation. You know, I, I hate if I'm meeting the artist in the studio for the first time. Mm, yeah. I'd mm. much rather, I mean, even if they're coming over, but we're just having a coffee and talking about music and listening and hanging out, I'd like there to be a kind of foundation of a friendship before there's a foundation of, of working. Mm. And, um, you know, that's the same, for instance, when, when we worked with Bob on like Alpine's records back in the day, mm. you, you know, there was a lot of just hanging out, talking about music, getting to know each other. And then, kind of when it comes to say recording vocals we, there isn't any kind of secret at that point we're just mm. very comfortable and everyone's just having a good time yeah it was a really relaxed atmosphere actually and you were re really good at setting that up that's, that's, that's true i've just been working with a, a new artist uh Jamwis, on his debut album now in january and one of his big concerns was was recording vocals with someone else because he'd always worked by himself of course yeah and I kind of said to him at the start, we had like a number of uh, just Zoom conversations and then meeting him in person for pre-production. I said, I, I just don't think this is, this is a complete non-issue. Just don't worry about it. And then when he came to the studio for the first time, just at the end of the first day of tracking, I just shoved the dynamic mic in front of him and said, just sing a guide vocal for me. And we had the speakers on and he just did three takes. And I think that was the final, final vocal for that song, you know? And that, like once that moment had gone there, he just, he just realized that he can yeah. do whatever he want. And he just felt so free creatively at that point. That scenario you described with Jamwis is, is, is very familiar to, to us and a lot of people that we've worked with about that kind of eye-opening moment of, oh, it doesn't have to be perfect. I c it, and, and it's all about, the the vibe for want of a better word i'm using inverted commas there but like it's yeah. it, it it really is and it's about getting that performance and, and i completely yeah. agree with you the one thing i think you know touching on the technology <clears throat> side of things is i think compression is such an important tool and i always compress vocals as i'm recording them okay um so let's pick up on that what why is why is it um, why is it important to do that on the way in and not later on in, in the door digitally well vocals are often incredibly dynamic and there's just such a different variance in level mm. so hitting the kind of sweet spot on your on your preamp can be more challenging you know either you're just too quiet or it's peaking uh, and it can be hard then if that's happening while other players are playing to kind of get the headphone mix right and mm. compressing there at the start for me, it's just helping it sound like a record straight away. Right. And that's what yeah. I want. I want when people go to kind of play and put their headphones on or listen to the speakers, I want it to start sounding like mm. a record as early as possible, mm. not something that we're going to fix in the distant future. Mm. Because if we create one incredible, engaging sound that we have a reaction to, 
then when we put the next sound on top of it, it has to be as good. Mm. You know, it has to yeah, up its yeah, game yeah. in the same way. Yeah. And so you build this foundation where everything is just feels incredible. Mm. Whereas if you start with like something that's recorded poorly and it's a bit bland and yeah. a bit dark or doesn't have any life or transience in there, then those problems can compound in the same kind of way. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. I don't want to get too into the weeds on it, but you talked about hitting the sweet spot on the preamp. And so does that mean you go, you compress before the preamp or? No, but I mean, it's, it's just, you know, most good preamps, you'll just kind of find as you're adjusting the gain, there's mm. like, a, there's an area there where it's kind of feels optimal and, yeah. um, that will usually then be at a level which is kind of hitting your compressor kind of nicely. And then when you're then going from analog to digital at that point, yep. you're going to have good headroom. That makes sense. It's funny because um, I feel like Bob is my tutor on all this compression stuff and I'm like way back. But I'm also seeing like the lineage. Yeah, I'm seeing the lineage now. Like it's really interesting. I learned so much of what I learned from Miko. Yeah, honestly. it's really interesting to kind of to hear that. You know, I find most of what is taught about compression online just to be really frustrating because people are explaining oh this is the ratio and this is the threshold and we're talking about compression in really technical terms of like limiting of dynamic range but compression does so much more it changes the sound of things it it does it, it kind of brings it forward and closer so you know that i'm such a big fan of compressors with simple controls because of that you know yes. like the 1176 is my go-to and yeah. it's just like you know, 41 ratio and it's like, you just can't go wrong. You know, you turn up the gain and it starts sounding good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just a magic box with like yeah. one button. Yeah. I, I never understood for so long how, um, how much tone it adds essentially. Yeah. I thought it was just a technical thing for handling dynamic range and found it boring. And I think so many people do because of the way it's, it's talked about, it's daunting, it's boring, it's yeah. or arcane and, and it's, yeah, it's not, it's, it's, it's so key in the sound of popular music. Yeah. Uh, on every instrument, really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like for me, the 1176, especially, if it, it, it's almost like you have a picture and then you trace the outline of it. Mm. So it suddenly becomes like sharper and more in focus. You wear kind of a few hats, like very accomplished producer. You're engineering with kind of these world-class artists and you're a great mixer as well. Do you see that kind of diversity as really important to your work or is or is it like at some point I'd like to be mixing all the time or I'd like to be producing all the time or do they help each other? I guess I like to keep things interesting and variable for myself and I don't want to get stuck doing the same thing all the time and it's amazing, you know, being able to travel around the world as well and see new places and new studios and work. So I've really enjoyed that. And I think whatever you're doing, you know, whether it's recording or, or, or producing or, or mixing, the end goal is the same, you know. There's, there's music there and you're just trying to get everything out of it and present it in a way that a listener can have an emotional reaction mm. to that. And, you know, I often get people asking me or like, Oh, how do you, how do you mix drums or like, how do you produce a vocal? I, just, I think they 
don't like hearing the answer when I say is you're asking the wrong question. Like there is no way to to, to mix the kick drum. Like my question is like, what's the role of the, the kick drum in the context of the production mm. and the song to have that reaction? You know, maybe it's a really key element or actually it doesn't matter. Mm. And I'd say for me, like a lot of the, a lot of the mixing process kind of happens outside of the studio, just thinking about the song, you know, maybe it's just like listening to it on a little sonor speaker in the living room or out for a walk and, and listening to it on headphones and kind of thinking just bar by bar, like, you know, is, is this captivating me or like, where are the kind of weak spots and what, what mm. I can do about those? And the actual implementation of that happens very quickly that's in the a, studio. That's an interesting concept. I haven't thought about that. I'd like to go back and talk a bit more about Nigel Godrich and your, what, what does your role look like? working with him and, and what practices have you learned from him? I mean, he's obviously just an incredible producer, you know, for me, one of the, one of the, the greats. Mm. And, um, I'm, I've learned so much from him and so grateful. And he, he does have some very interesting and innovative ways of doing stuff. Um, I think me and him get along because in some ways, our engineering toolboxes are quite small and similar, and we don't try and overcomplicate things. And, okay. you know, I'm a big fan, you know, of vintage Neumann microphones. <laughs> and, you know, again, it's not that I'm not up for trying something new, but I also just know the things that work for me sure. again and again. And um, just the closer our relationship has gotten over the years, the, the more I've been just taking over all the recording side to be able to kind of free him up to kind of think about other things. What do you think it is that makes him so great? It's his taste and aesthetic. I mean, he is just a huge music fan right. and he has like just great taste and, and really understands things and, and how to put them together and also not to touch something when something special has been captured we know very little about this project miko but we know that you've been involved uh, with, with along with alongside nigel with the new arcade fire album um what can you tell us about this i have a, a quick question and again it may or may not be it but like you meant you alluded to this earlier my understanding is you recorded it in in the south in america it must be amazing going to this it sounds like a slightly more um vintage recording experience or sort of um, how was it going into a space like that and working in that environment and what were the challenges and, and also the pleasures of what sounds like a slightly less conventional recording experience? Yes, so the Arcade Fire album started as the pandemic was ongoing and, and one of the challenges was how can we get everyone together <laughs> sure. from all over the world, you know, different parts of the world and get them there into a kind of safe environment as well. Mm. And so we headed to a, a studio called Sonic Ranch in Texas. Texas. And spent uh, six weeks um, there where we made a bulk of the album. And then continued to, to refine and develop things. After that, I then spent some time in New Orleans um, with the band recording and then Nigel came and joined me later and then finally in London at wow. Nigel's studio. Amazing. You, you've implied it there, like at, at 
certain stages you you're um you're the only producer in the room overseeing that work that's happening day to day that must have been pretty daunting or 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 did you did you relish it so arcade fire also have their own team so there was uh, eric heigl and emily eck there um working with me and at times we're working out of multiple different studios so multiple different things can be happening okay. um but you know N- nigel uh was definitely producing uh the album but he and i have a very good understanding and and of where we needed to go together yep. so i was able to go and on work on things on my own and 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 take things forward um and i have actually um received um an additional production credit on the on the record as well fantastic that's amazing i think obviously doing this work you you and you've mentioned kind of alluded to it there um, these are guys that have made a lot of records. They've won Grammys. You, you have the similar thing with Tom and, and Johnny with, with the last project. Do you, and we talked about this earlier with the learning, like, do you, you take things on from working from them as well, I guess, and, and how they work? Because they're not coming in green-eyed, you know, and, and that must be quite an interesting experience as well. Yeah, there's absolutely an exchange of, uh, of ideas and, and, mm. and knowledge and... I would say it was definitely interesting watching their process and how they they did things. I think they were a bit surprised by some of the recording techniques that I was using. Um, Did you give us an example there? I guess like drum miking particularly, I think I tend to do things a little bit different to how lots lots of other people do. Big fan of mono drums as well. and just you know the types of microphones, like quite a lot of compression as well at times on on certain things, and committing to it, just com- exactly committing yeah. to a sound. Yeah, we've had a couple of conversations with producers who've had that interaction where they're committing to really positive sounds, and and artists these days are like, no, 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 because I want to be in a room in LA in six months. Going, could we try it as if it was recorded in a yeah, and um. Having been someone more on the artist side and understanding that, but actually now the more I go into it, I, I did, there's just this tyranny of choice. Mm. And like, if this is sounding great, like you were saying, like, let's make it sound like a record early and like really commit. I think that's actually now looking at it as an artist, I would think that would be very liberating. Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, will like record a drum kit with like 20 different microphones and a million different options so that then whoever's mixing it or doing something with it has options but then i feel that you end up with like a lot of options of blandness yes and i would rather commit and tie the next person's hands and go like well but this sounds really interesting and exciting Mm. and 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 great and then if it's wrong then just record it again but but in all likelihood they'll probably thank you for making those choices for (laughs) them because it makes their life a bit easier and and you've done something cool you know well i'd I'd hope so I mean, if I stop getting hired, then I'll know. <laughs> <laughs> then you're, yeah, then you're not. Um, feel free to answer this one any, any way you like. And I guess you can take it quite general or, or be specific about some work if you'd want. But um, what are the challenges on, on working on some of these big projects that you've done, like where there's a lot of team involved, there's a lot of heads involved, there's a lot of egos, there's a lot of opinions. How, how do you deal with that? And, and For me personally, even though creating something you know, it can sometimes be challenging and painful. I 
want to have a good time. I want yeah. to enjoy what I'm doing. So I'm always trying to bring positivity into my work every day and understanding and taking time to listen to people and what those concerns are and reassuring them that what we're doing, that I believe in it and that we can move forward with positivity and optimism. And I'm also personally a fan of working really quickly, almost faster than you can think. Because I think then you're working from your gut and you're just coming up with ideas without stopping to analyze them too much. Mm. And then once that's happened, you can then step back and look at it and, mm. and think to yourself, well, is this any good? Mm. And maybe it's not. And then you just record it again in a different way with a different approach. But give yourself some time not to second guess yourself all the time and just do something and then think about it afterwards that's a really good point mm. shakespeare once said that music is the food of love but what is the food of music as much as the right microphone or guitar amp what we eat or drink can be such a crucial part of a recording session so each week we like to ask our guests what do they cook or order to get the mood right in the studio i made an album in finland uh, a number of years ago and what's interesting for me although i grew up there i never did any work there i never went to any of the studios yeah. and so i had this chance to go back and make a record in the winter wow. and snow everywhere and and it was just very exotic every finnish studio has a sauna no way like, yeah so <laughs> we're, we're in the we were in this residential studio um called petrax in the in the middle of nowhere it's on a farm and the wife of the studio owner uh, cooks for you every night so ev every night you'd kind of stop recording at like seven or eight o'clock and you'd you'd kind of make your way through the snow to the farmhouse where she would have cooked like a very uh, traditional like Finnish dinner for you and I mean that was just an amazing experience and after that we'd go and head to the sauna and then oh, continue yeah. recording until one or two in the morning What's your favorite studio that you've ever worked in? Okay, this is probably a biased answer, but I'm going to say Hackney Road. Hey. I love it. I love and it. The reason is, I mean, I've worked in some incredible studios all around the world. And I, I love residential studios because you kind of go and hide away without any distractions. But wherever I am, there's always something small that's going to be bugging me you know <laughs> like maybe the talk back is just not very well set up or the patching's just a bit weird and obviously one of the opportunities i've had here at my own studio is to <laughs> do all those things that have been annoying me at other studios to kind of uh to fix those so you're hence a, my answer you're a very shall we say organized person so <laughs> that doesn't surprise me whatsoever um so we kind of have a yin and yang on this so what's your favorite software plugin that's an interesting question because there's obviously lots of plugins <laughs> that I use again and again and are like go-to plugins, you know, like an 1176 plugin um, would be the SoftTube FET compressor is one of my favorites of that. However, I feel like my answer would have to be something where 
it can do something that you can't do in the analog mm. domain because they're like, mm. you know, a, a plug-in emulation of a compressor is, um, they're amazing these days, but I also have hardware compressors and mm. I'll happily use both interchangeably. But there are things like, you know, Soothe, um, mm. which kind of does something that you just can't really do if you're not in a computer or... I mean, Valhalla Shimmer is one of my secret weapons. I mean, you know, there are pedals that emulate yeah. that, but that kind of endless reverb thing is something I use a lot how, on my records. How do you, why would you class it as a secret weapon then? What, are you using it in a bit more of a subtle way than maybe I do? Like, just do, like, throw it in there. <laughs> <laughs> like lump of mayonnaise of Shimmer. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's just often moments in music or in a vocal performance where you're looking to, stretch something out or heighten some tension and i just think it's a beautiful sounding plugin for doing that you know when someone sings like a long note that that disappears out into into the music and you can kind of just blend and blur that out with shimmer in a really beautiful way and i've also used it to kind of create pads and textures because you could just play one note on the guitar and set it to endless repeat and suddenly you have like chords starting to come out of it Come back to the real world. What's your favorite piece of hardware? Got to be the Yuri eleven seventy six. Cool. I mean, I just love that compressor so much. I recently, on a recording session, had seven of them, and that was just like the the max amount I could source in in, in that yeah. available area to use. And I, I'll just use them on on everything. Amazing. What is your favorite synthesizer? I would say. Profit synthesizers, um, you know, Profit Five, the new Profit Six, I think, mm. is also great. Um, I guess honorable mention to the the Juno One or Six, you know, yeah. another classic. Mm, good stuff. Um, what about your favorite microphone? You mentioned you like Neumanns. Is it one of those? Or? Yeah, I mean, you know, a <laughs> good condition U forty seven is just magical. You can't really go wrong with Do you that. have one of those here is that what not a hackney road uh have one at the goldsmiths uh oh, studio uh, the problem with the um u47 is is you're paying so much for the badge yeah. now yeah and so i'm always also kind of looking for you know these are functional tools for me it's like a hammer you know i, I don't particularly get excited mm. about it um you know what are they like 15 grand now that's a that's a lot of money for for one microphone so uh i'll always use them when they're when they're (laughs) around but uh, i have a a soyez um 17 tube microphone which um is a russian microphone and i just think it sounds incredible and it has a bit of that it's not a clone or a copy but it has some of that neumann 47 kind of character Mm. that i i really like Of everything you've been involved in, whether mixing, producing, engineering, is there a project that you sort of, is your favorite that sort of encapsulates what you're about as someone who works with or just a, a project that was really enjoyable to do? Yeah, a track on, sorry, go on. Yeah, a track or a project or an anything, album. yeah. I mean, I don't think you can pick a favorite because there's just so much music I feel so proud mm. about. But I love the work I've done with coloring um with with jack and you know i've been involved in 
almost every piece of music that Coloring have released and involved from the very early days of that project when it still existed under another name. And just Jack and I have such a good working relationship and I, I love the results and I'm just really proud of that music. Great. So finish the interview. In your opinion, what's the most important tool at your disposal as a producer? I think the most important tool is my brain and my ears. Mm. You know, my ability to make people feel comfortable at ease and to listen to the music and find out how to bring the best out of that. Mm and hopefully create something that will connect with listeners and have them have an emotional reaction of some kind when they listen to the music. Thank you very much for that, Miko. Lovely interview. And also, we didn't mention this at the beginning, but one we got to do in person, we were, I'm sure you heard, but we were in Hackney Road Studios. It was a lovely afternoon to go down there and spend some time in Miko's space. Yeah, that was really cool. Uh, that reminds me, I've still got your scarf that you left at the studio. It was fun uh, doing the interview in person. It's always a different, a slightly different feeling than doing them over Zoom, and, mm. and you get a different kind of conversation. I thought it'd be interesting if you gave us the first take over, Bob, because you've worked with Miko in a professional context and he's mixed work with you and he's been a bit of a mentor in some ways to your work what did you find in that more kind of I suppose formal conversational setting that you sort of learned from how he works I think it's just impressive how he keeps improving and he keeps learning and he keeps getting wiser mm. like I can I can tell like that he's just soaking up all this knowledge from people like Nigel Godrich and he's got such a kind of um basis of knowledge to draw upon now and and the way he talks about stuff in these much wider terms is really really cool and really inspiring that he doesn't fixate because he's he's so good technically I don't, I don't know if that came across in, in the interview but mm. like he's he's incredible at like hearing frequencies and, and all that kind of more scientific stuff you need to be good at for him as, as a mixer but like you can tell now that his wisdom is really strong in the in the kind of things that we are sort of more interested in talking about on this podcast mm. and i think that was really um apparent from the conversation that we had C can we talk about how cool those albums are as well yeah. I, I, I don't know if you, they've just come out as we're tracking this i don't know if you've had a chance to listen to them both fully lawrence but like I, i've just dug into the smile record today it's, it's one so of my good. favorite things that's come out over the last six months i love it i was in a session a few weeks ago and I just put them on I was just like I love this this is just so inspiring but also it's like so listenable yeah it, it there's so much fun stuff going on like mm. like lots of production bits like oh this sound how did they get that but others songs that are just rocking some that are really tender and, and you can hear the energy that Miko was talking about the fun they were having in the studio that really comes across and I think it's it's a real producer's record because mm. you can you can hear like the talents of, of Nigel on there getting some of those tones and textures. But like there's so much fun stuff to get your teeth into. And, yeah, and it was recorded to tape. Oh, yeah. Way. Tape. yeah <laughs> tape. You could feel it. Yes. You can feel that analog warmth. And sort of relating to that, I really liked Miko talking about his simple palette because as a as yeah. someone who's been an educator and then someone who's been a world class engineer and is is now becoming a world-class producer like mm -hmm. he'll have worked with so much equipment and his knowledge of it all has to be encyclopedic that's sort of been the cornerstone of his work 
But the way he was like, me and Nigel, we have quite a simple and shared palette and that's how we like to work. That's cool. And I think we've both talked about how like I've particularly sort of come around to that way of thinking of as you come into production and certainly when I was an artist, like I want these options. I want to try that microphone. Oh, all these, comp- do they have this compressor? Well, it were, and yeah. I want to have all this thing. And it's like, this is your drum kit. These are your two compressors. This is your microphone. These are your guitar amps. Make a record. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it, it comes back to that that kind of mantra of less is more, which, mm. which, which I think not only in music, in, in all sorts of artistic disciplines, it pays to uh, keep your palette fairly limited or mm. keep your tool set fairly limited and just master a few things. I don't know if this is, I don't know how true this is, but I remember hearing once that when the White Stripes went on tour, Jack White refused to have replacements for anything. So... Really? He would, you know, he would have a Wurlitzer or, and he'd have an orange amp or whatever. And if, if a valve blew in the orange amp, we don't get a new valve. That amp's now not part of our kit and we have to adapt our set to, <laughs> to that. Or like if a pedal that had a certain sound broke, yeah. we don't replace it. I find a different way to create that sound or create a different sound. And okay, it sort cool. of sounds mad, but it also... Yeah, you might be hanging on by the end of a world. Yeah, that, well, that's true. But in that in its own way... Kick drum be, and an acoustic. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd watch that gig, right? That yeah. would be an amazing yeah. White Stripes gig. They could uh, do that, though, that they, band. That's they the, definitely could. Yeah, and it doesn't work yeah. for everything. And there's, you know, yeah. there's always shades and degrees. But I, it's a really interesting idea. And some of the things I'm working on at the moment I'm thinking about like the tracking stage coming coming up and I'm like yeah. I kind of want to I'm kind of excited about going in and being like that in my head like should we just yeah. choose the 10 things we're using today and, and get it done that way kind of by the same token I, I really liked his take on compression yes which we've sort of gone over before with, with with some of our interviewees who still find it a bit daunting and yeah i'm one of those people i think yeah well well you know how how did you find the the way he tried to explain it because you've kind of heard it from me before but like the way that miko put it was really yeah i think it's not just about demystifying it but it's sort of changing your mindset about it and realizing that it isn't just a technical tool it's an artistic tool mm-hmm. my thing with it has been Every time I learn more about it, it opens up new doors for me. But also mm-hmm. I've realized that the main thing with it is to to experience it and do it. Yeah. And and yeah. it's one of those things that really can only be learned by doing. Yes, exactly. And that's just a journey that I guess I'll be on for the rest of my life. But it gave me a, a seed of a different way to think about it. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to take from, from his attitude. And I like that, that he buried all the online tutorials. That, yeah, but not um, everyone but... can sit in a room with Miko and, and get those tutorials, so... We we need to find a happy medium. That's the thing. Yeah, you're right. You you do have to do it by doing. And when you're in a writing session, you're not always like bothered about the compressor. That's one thing I've learned is not to be bothered about the compressor because no one else is at that point. One other thing he said, which we've talked about in some of our episodes and, and, and plays into how I like to approach working is he's big on preparation yes massive and i love that that's how i've always worked and i mean i've never had to do a session for tom york so my preparation is different but even when i'm going into my writing sessions or my production sessions the way i get the most out of my workflow is is to have five or six things in my head ready or Mm. or 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 ideas ready or mixes ready or thoughts ready and and that's how i like to work and i think part of that is a lack of self-confidence in a way it's like i don't think i can do this on the hoof but it's also i've realized that's how i've done the best work of everything i've ever done that's how i approach yeah. things it's definitely miko's mindset you can hear it when he talks and the way he approaches records and it's just nice to hear someone reflect that and be like oh yeah other people are thinking how i think because there's a million yeah. ways to skin a cat and it's it's nice to uh 
know other people are out there skinning cats the same way you do you've heard people say 90 percent of everything is preparation mm. and you know i think yeah there's varying levels of truth to that and depending on what part of music you're talking about there there is some truth in it yeah and when i was just listening back to the back to the interview now and he was talking about like keeping track of what um what tr- tracks on the tape have oh, free yeah. space that's just th- things like that like ha- you, you have to have so many systems in place because you can't just do that on on the hoof so like yeah that's really impressive and it's something that most producers don't have to think about at all no i mean it must have been amazing as well like you're imagining johnny greenwood tom nigel tom sitting around like yeah but but i'm not i'm just a bit worried about this and i I really want to retract this but is this going to work and then mika's just like um guys uh, so just so you know it will now sound exactly as it did four months ago if you guys want to go in and track you'll just you'd just be like that's so inspiring let's go and do it going from what he does before the session Mm. i also liked him talking about work after the session in terms of his mix process Mm. a lot of the the cognitive mix process happens when he's listening back to it outside the studio and i think that's really cool and and very apparent to me that when i when i hear a mix like just after a bit of time or in a different space it's 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 always then that you figure out what you yeah i'd been working on a mix this morning and then i listened to the interview walking around the park while he was saying that and it was interesting because i was getting perspective on the interview Mm -hmm. and it was also like yes i need to get perspective on that mix now and it i sort of had a little smile to myself it was like a nice moment of like yeah you don't listen to music in a studio or you don't listen to a music hunched over Mm -hmm. a door tweaking an eq you've got to bounce that stuff out you've got to put it in your headphones you've got to put it on your stereo and and think about it like that and you'll enjoy it so much more as well oh and one final point i thought i thought was super cool was um him talking about making it sound like a record as early as possible Mm. uh which is which is a tough ask sometimes but like we're thinking like just just the way he put it like um building good sound on top of good sound and and like that just kind of building a kind of a castle of of your song when you build it on strong foundations and you've, you've got to like match or beat the parts you've done before that's a cool kind of attitude to to keeping keeping yourself on your toes when, when you're when you're writing or producing or at any stage yes definitely and, and that comes back to the simple palette as well and just having mm-hmm. good sounds to, to work with and Really inspiring interview. So yeah, thank you very um, much to Miko and and yeah. thanks for having us. And one last thing, we we sort of tracked that a, a few weeks back, and like some of the stuff about the Arcade Fire and and the Smile Records was were under NDAs, and Miko was just very kind to 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 find the things he could talk to us about. So um, yeah, he he kept uh, he kept it quiet. There was going to be a Peter Gabriel uh, feature on the Arcade Fire album. Yeah, yeah, gosh, <laughs> he did. Wish we'd known that. Yeah, that's an yeah. Uh, love a bit of like, that's gonna get i'm gonna pull my peter gabriel out after this and uh <laughs> yeah great so we will be back in a fortnight with kerry willits it's a great interview i'm really excited for you all to hear uh, that yeah, and he's a top dude thanks very much to everyone uh involved in this episode and for you guys for listening yeah keep on sharing the podcast and keep on getting in touch the instagram is at process of production and the email is process of production podcast at gmail.com fantastic see you all soon Thank you for listening to The Process of Production this week. If you enjoyed it, please give us a follow and maybe even a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. It really helps. And please get in touch if you have any thoughts on the show, questions you'd like answered, or producers you'd like to see interviewed. We'd love to hear from you. Our Instagram is at processofproduction and our email is processofproductionpodcast at gmail.com.